0: Previously on dry powder.
1: We need to solve this crisis as fast as possible, which means taking new approaches.
0: Nira Jane and Kara Murphy, the co-heads of Bain's private equity healthcare team, talked about how the COVID nineteen pandemic has disrupted the healthcare sector. They revealed how everyone from
2: family practices to pharmaceutical giants are rethinking the way they work. We're going to see some experiments that are happening now that are going to lead to uh, new ways of working for this industry permanently. Today on the show. We'll consider how investors can double-check their downside
0: exposure, revise their playbooks, and invest with as much confidence as they can get at a time like this. I'm Humec Arthur, head of Bain's Global Private Equity Practice, and this is Dry Powder. Karen and what is the
2: sentiment among your clients? What are clients talking about now when it comes to healthcare? Are they bullish? we've seen a tremendous amount of interest over the last couple of months in healthcare and even beyond what we had seen in the baseline over the last several years leading up to 2020. Of course, we've seen a tremendous amount of interest and in uptick in public to private pipe opportunities, credit activity. Again, Hugh, this comes back to what I just uh, mentioned about just a mismatch of public market pricing versus the real sentiment of where some of these subsectors are going to bounce back and how quickly But there's also a lot of interest just in the traditional bread and butter of private company buyout. I'd say if there's a limiter right now in the market, it is there not enough uh, properties coming to market and being available for sale versus a interest level in the sector? Carrie, you should add to this.
1: Yeah, I think that's very well said here. I think investors remain incredibly bullish and we don't think that's going to change. The challenge is whether we talk about P2P, private credit investments, obviously the market is quite volatile right now. And so is there really an opportunity or not? I think investors are also thinking about their portfolio companies and to what extent they might be able to double down and even in a world where there's not as many, quote unquote, new new properties, are there ways that they can kind of go on offense with their portfolio companies and think about deploying capital there to fuel both organic and, and, and inorganic growth?
0: And so why is it, Nirid, that there are fewer properties for traditional buyout on the market right now than in the past in a vibrant sector like healthcare? Is it a, a credit issue or is it a, a value expectations mismatch? What's driving that?
2: I think there's two things. One is what you just said on value expectation. A lot of the sellers know they have good businesses that are impacted in the very short term, but may have very good medium and long-term prospects. And so a lot of those owners will say, well, let's hold on a sec. Let's wait a few months, see how things stabilize, and then we can potentially restart this process that we were contemplating. I think a second issue, frankly, is just logistics. Bankers are having trouble figuring out, how do I bring a certain property to market. A senior private equity investor called me and said, how do we do a physical site diligence during this time? Do I deploy a drone over the manufacturing facility? Do I have somebody walk around with an iPad? Just the physical logistics of some of these diligences, I think you are still a question mark for them. And so that has just been a tactical issue uh, over the last several weeks.
0: So we've got a lot of money that's eager to penetrate the healthcare sector and take advantage of some of the emerging trends that we see. Kara, is there a risk of moving too aggressively against some of these trends? Is it too early?
1: It's, it's a great question. And I think there will be some nuances investor by investor. And so where are you in your fund deployment of capital? And where are you with respect to your deployment of healthcare investing within that fund, right? And then there's the proactively, where did you want to put money to work? And are there opportunities to put money to work in those spots now? No regret moves. And or are you going to have to wait because there are no properties to be had at this point, right? There is a lot of unknowns now. And so investors are thinking about, you know, do I have to move now? What more information might I glean a few months from now? And what is the risk return profile of acting now versus acting a few months from now? And again, it comes back to the actionability and the scarcity of assets. And so if an investor sees an opportunity to invest now, they're probably not going to let that opportunity pass them by, but you are going to see some sit on the sidelines at least for a few more months.
0: So Kara, in this incredibly complex ecosystem that Naird was just describing, how are our private equity clients adjusting their approach to developing investment theses? I mean, this sounds like an incredibly complicated issue.
1: It is incredibly complicated. and I do think it comes back to this reflection of what are the undeniable long-term trends that I want to invest behind. And I think as investors are reflecting on this, they're also bringing a little bit of a lens of, as I look at a company, how do I think about the engine one and the engine two? The engine one is the core businesses that exist today. Like take a home care company, right? Home care, um, has a certain function and it provides a certain suite of solutions today for home visits. Now, what could Engine 2 be? We can reimagine what home care could be in the future, right? And it's the spectrum from pre-visits in the home before you go to a facility to a more complex post-facility in terms of the complexity, whether it's hospital at home, ICU at home, you name it, right? And so as investors are... Thinking opportunities through and, and, and recognizing, frankly, that the market's still very competitive and you have to think very differently and creatively about an asset, not what it is today, but what it could be tomorrow. This engine one and engine two thinking is very powerful as investors are incorporating COVID thinking and implications into their analyses.
0: So, Nerid, as we think about this level of disruption in doing deals, how are some of the more experienced healthcare investors out there factoring the disruption into how they do deals today? And actually, is that experience still such an asset going forward when it seems like so much is going to be changing in healthcare?
2: Hugh, I'd argue that the experience is even more uh, important now. That sector-level experience is important because of what we talked about of this extremely complicated web You can't just go and invent a product unless the provider is going to adopt it. The payer is going to actually go and pay for it. Somebody can get the patient to actually go towards that product. There's multiple pieces in this ecosystem. And and understanding what changes can happen quickly, what changes are going to take time is extremely important. We saw this pre-COVID with something like value-based care. Everyone said, gosh, value-based care, such a no-brainer that we would... Effectively pay for the value that is being provided to the patient. Well, it's a trend that we've seen working its way through for over ten years, and still the majority of the market is nowhere close uh, to being on value-based uh, contracts. We still, you know, pay for for things based on on consumption. And so again, the ideas can be fantastic, but some of these are just so complicated to work through the system that a good private equity investor is going to be able to sort out what are changes that I can facilitate now. What do I have to realize is just a longer-term trend and isn't going to be something that's going to deliver value in my deal horizon?
0: certainly sounds like there's a lot of opportunity out there for the experienced healthcare investor that both understands the history of the industry and how it works today and where it's going in a very complicated set of scenarios in the future. Let's shift gears and talk a little bit about some downside exposure. We've talked a lot about emerging trends around technology, in-home care, telemedicine, triaging, you know, different ways of doing business so far. What's the risk that some of these trends actually roll back? You know, are private equity firms at risk of buying into something at a peak and overestimating how strong a trend is going to be when we get back to the new normal, or are many of these secular trends that are just unstoppable? Hmm.
1: I think we, we could argue, again, there's going to be a new normal. But the new normal may look different to both the up and the down, depending on which trend we're talking about, right? And so let's paint two ends of the spectrum. Telemedicine, as we referenced, is like 80% of visits today. That's likely an unsustainable peak, at least in the the medium term as we get back to um, a post-COVID world, right? Again, moving from 10% to 80%, does it end up you know, netting in between of the 30 to 50% as a, as a reasonable base case expectation? Probably. The flip of that is like, let's let's look at, we talked a lot about retail health and the fact that basically 90% of plus of visits are, are gone or frankly, facilities are closed. That's not going to persist, right? And at some point there's going to be a swing back and that swing back could be quite pronounced depending on the service that we're talking about and depending on how effective operators are at, navigating
0: through this. We read a lot about resilient supply chains all across different industry sectors. And I've hosted a number of sessions for healthcare investors. And the question keeps coming back, does resilient have to mean lots of spare capacity and lots more inventory, i.e. much higher costs? How do you think about building a resilient supply chain in the healthcare industry that isn't
2: high cost? So I think one idea that is absolutely going to be rethunk and is being uh, reconsidered right now is concentration of supply in a given geographic market. So we would argue that there was a over rotation on moving manufacturing, both in the pharma and the med tech spaces to low cost countries. And in particular, China at the largest low cost uh, country uh, that you could place your network into. Well, we've learned the downside of having geographic concentration in that supply chain. So there's a lot of our medtech and pharma clients right now that are saying, gosh, let's rethink API supply. I have a lot of API that comes out of China. Should I be considering diversifying that base of active pharmaceutical ingredient, not just to be China, but do I need some of that to be in India, do I need some of that to be Europe, and do I need some uh, Americas-based production as well? So this diversification of your manufacturing base uh, so that you don't have that concentration issue that's been created over the last decade in both medtech and pharma is absolutely something uh, that is being reconsidered right now by our clients. Kara, do you see the government and the regulatory
0: bodies associated with it becoming uh, more activist?
1: First of all, government has always been a factor in healthcare deals, right? Whether you're talking about is the FDA going to approve a drug, whether we're talking about what reimbursement rate is CMS going to set for a variety of procedures, right? And so, stroke of the pen risk has been front and center for healthcare investors over the long term, right? But there are, you raise a good point of, Now we're talking about things like supply chain, where perhaps the government hasn't been as involved. And, you know, to add to that, given how many providers are facing liquidity crises right now, I think there's an open question there on what the government may or may not do.
2: I think what we don't know right now is how is that government role going to manifest in the U.S., but also in all of these other countries. So, for example, supplies in hospitals, is the government going to stockpile? these emergency supplies, or is it going to be what we saw the government do in the last crisis with the banks and say, well, we're going to mandate that you have certain assets on your balance sheet, and so that way we can stress test that capability that you have to deploy certain assets in a a crisis. We don't know what that role is going to be. There's probably going to be a stepped-up role. There's probably going to be a set of stepped-up requirements on everything from stockpiling of supplies to diversification of your supply chain, but exactly how it's going to manifest is still an unknown. It's
0: been a fascinating discussion. I've certainly learned a lot more about healthcare and know more than I did a few minutes ago. Uh, thank you very much, Nirid, and thank you very much, Kara, for stopping by today. It's been a terrific show.
1: Thank you very much, Hugh.
0: Thanks, Hugh. If you'd like to learn more about how you can tailor your firm strategy to the COVID-19 crisis, email us at drypowderbain.com. At I'm Hugh MacArthur. Thank you for listening.